Welcome to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. This is Pastor Poppy. Along with me, Pastor Adam Moline, Vicar Timothy Steele II. We are privileged to serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're taking a look at minor festivals, commemoration, high feast days, occasions, Days that we celebrate in the church, but days that we don't often have a time to examine in more detail and more closely. Today we're going to be looking at St. Andrew Day, St. Andrew, uh, Apostle of our Lord. The day for St. Andrew Day is November 30, November 30. And so with uh, St. Andrew Day, November 30, depending on where the first Sunday in Advent falls, it is either the last festival day in the church year. More often, it is the first festival day in the church year. And because it falls most often during the season of Advent, it is not very often celebrated in the church. St. Andrew, Pastor uh, can you give us just a, a little bit of a of a bio of St. Andrew? There's not a lot in Scripture with regard to him. No, the part in Scripture that we do know is that uh, Andrew is the brother of Peter, uh, you know, traditionally the first pope, uh, Peter, um, and so he's the brother of that. <laughs> <laughs> Tongue-in-cheek, um, folks. Tongue-in-cheek. Uh, but uh, so he begins his life as a fisherman on the Sea of Galilee, living in the city of Capernaum. Uh, Christ calls him, uh, according to the Gospel of John, uh, Andrew is one of the very first people that actually begin to follow Jesus. In fact, in the Greek Orthodox tradition, he's called uh, the first called, the protokletos, and uh, so he actually then converts his brother Peter into a follower of Christ, uh, if we're talking merely in human terms without the Holy Spirit at work. Uh, After the uh, the death of Jesus and the resurrection and then the ascension into heaven, uh, it's traditionally thought that St. Andrew went into the region of Scythia, uh, and then later on he traveled through even up perhaps into Russia, uh, Ukraine, Romania, places like that. Uh, And then later on, tradition says that he was back in the city of Patras in Greece, which would be uh, about 80 miles to the west up the coast of uh, Greece from where Corinth is, the Isthmus of Corinth. And so it's kind of a port city there at the mouth uh, of that uh, that bay, if you will. Uh, and uh, so, you know, the, the things that we know about Andrew, tradition-wise, uh, you know, that he was crucified there in Patras, supposedly on an X rather than on a T, uh, which would be a, another way that people were crucified as long as they're uh, nailed to the cross in one sense. That's what happens. And so that's how Andrew dies. So not a lot that we know about Andrew. Um, We know he called his brother Peter. We know he did a few things the last week of Jesus' life, and then tradition tells us uh, a little bit more later on. Okay, Uh, and again, with these uh, majoring in the minor Proclaiming the One episodes, uh, we're going to be spending the bulk of our time, like we always do on Proclaiming One, in the actual Scripture text. We don't want to turn this program into a history program, but we do need a little 
brief biographical information, especially on the people that we are remembering. And uh, I want to I want to share one paragraph out of uh, a wonderful series, the Sermon and the Propers. It's a four volume set uh, produced by Lindemann from Concordia Publishing House. Oh, I don't know, fifty years ago or so. And uh, in, on page 18 and 19, it says, We know little of St. Andrew, but that little is quite enough to keep his name in perpetual and grateful remembrance. He occupied no great or conspicuous place in the history of the church or of the world. Three times we read that he brought others to Christ, the lad with the loaves and fishes, the Greeks who would see Jesus, and his own brother Peter. Apocryphal accounts tell us much, but have no basis in history. One of these legend accounts for the name given the St. Andrew's Cross. Hanging on the cross, he proclaimed the gospel for two days, it is said. He is the patron saint of Scotland. Naturally, we should like to know more than is told of him in the New Testament, but we must remember that the gospels are not extended biographies, even of our Lord. They are only brief memoirs, and their purpose is to set before us the person of our Savior and the great fundamental facts of the Christian faith. In other words, the purpose of Scripture is to do for us what St. Andrew did for his brother when he brought him to Christ. I thought those words were uh, very, very good and poignant for us today as we study the readings for St. Andrew Day, November 30. Vicar, the gospel reading for St. Andrew's Day is John chapter 1, 35-42a. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Okay, there you have it, John 1, 35 to 42a, the gospel reading appointed for St. Andrew Day. This is uh, in in various um, pericope systems, in various lectionaries. Sometimes you have different uh, readings that are appointed for uh, proclaiming the one majoring in the minors. We're going to be following the readings appointed for LSB, uh, the Lutheran service book. The uh, pericopes that are there will be doing that uh, for all of the occasions, commemorations, festivals, and feast days. John 1, 35 to 42 is a very, very appropriate text for us. Pastor, it starts out in verse 35 of John chapter 1, the next day. What had happened the previous day that was so significant that it is recorded for us the next day. Yeah, it's actually a really important event, um, and one that's that, why I asked the question. <laughs> right, that's why we pay you the big bucks, yeah. right? Yeah, uh, it's an important event because it's it's one that's recorded there right before that, and that is in fact um, 
the uh, testimony of John the Baptist and the baptism of Jesus taking place there as well. And so you know it traditionally like Matthew 3 and, and other places where we learn that John is not worthy to untie Jesus' uh, shoes. Uh, and then additionally, um, you know, it's in Luke and Mark, similar ways. This happens right away in John's gospel in the first chapter, and it's right here before this. And so we're introduced to John, and we know that then he has some disciples, and now he's preaching a sermon. John's doing the same thing for these disciples that John always does and that Andrew does for Peter. He's pointing people to Jesus. John, again, was standing with two of his disciples. Um, Pastor, help us out. Uh, you know, we know it's very common when we think about the 12 disciples of Jesus. What is this disciples of John thing? Well, uh, the word disciple means literally a learner. And so it's a person that follows someone around and learns from them. And this was a common way of learning back in the ancient world. Um, someone would be a teacher and they would talk to people and they would just kind of wander around and talk about the different things. And that's essentially what John is doing. He's preaching and teaching, uh, repent for the kingdom of God is near. And as he does this, people kind of follow him around and, and learn from him. And that's essentially what Andrew is doing here as well. And that was good for Andrew because here John's teaching him the very most important thing that he ever could, and that's to look to Christ Jesus uh, for forgiveness, life, and salvation. And so, um, you know, we don't know a whole lot about all the disciples that were of John. Uh, we're going to run into them later on in the scriptures as well, where people were um, baptized by John, and yet somehow they had not heard about Jesus, and they're preached the gospel to as well. Um, but uh, Andrew's one of those people learning from John. Vicar, um, it seems almost odd that John, we're talking here John the Baptist, uh, he's got his disciples here, and he points his disciples away from himself and onto someone else. What does this tell us about the ministry of John the Baptist, and what does this tell us, uh, teach us about the ministry of every faithful preacher? Well, John the Baptist, he's also called the forerunner. He is the one who was prophesied to prepare the way of the Lord. So all of John's ministry, all of his preaching was preparing people for Jesus. And so when we have two of his disciples here, and he points them to Jesus and he says, behold, the Lamb of God later on, you know, Andrew says, we have found the Messiah. John's ministry, just like the ministry of every faithful pastor, isn't about themselves, their, uh, their charismatic personality, their preaching skills, any of that. It's all about pointing to Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away their sins, because it is only Jesus who gives life and salvation. Verse 37 of John chapter 1 seems to me, Pastor, to be one of the most beautiful verses ever recorded in all of Scripture. Why would I say that? Well, verse 37 uh, has the disciples hear the sermon of St. John the Baptist, and uh, therefore the Holy Spirit creates faith through their hearing of God's Word, and that faith is active in the sense that then they begin to follow Jesus. They begin to listen to Jesus. Um, and, and that's a pretty dramatic turn of events for them to go and follow somebody new uh, and learn from them. And I think that's the key then for us as Christians as well. The way we come to faith is through hearing sermons, through hearing God's Word uh, that points our attention to Jesus. And, and I think then it 
by extension has implications for the way we do evangelism as well. Uh, evangelism isn't based upon, you know, how good of a coffee shop do we have in the, the church, uh, how comfy are the pews, uh, how handsome uh, the pastors are. As, as is demonstrated here at Good Shepherd, right, we're very handsome, and yet uh, the handsomeness that we are uh, doesn't affect the attendance at church at all. Rather, uh, what our job is is to preach Jesus and to point people to Jesus. And when that happens, that's evangelism. And as a result, people come to faith. And that will be brought out even more when we get to the fourth segment today, when we look at our epistle reading from Romans chapter 10. That Romans 10 epistle is often used for mission festivals. It is often used for uh, ordinations and installations. And I can't help but think of the artwork Uh, Just do a little Google search for John the Baptist, click on images, and you will certainly see a picture of John the Baptist with the biggest forefinger that you can possibly imagine, and he's standing there pointing to Jesus, again, echoing the words a little bit earlier in John chapter 1, behold, aha, looky there. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. I think what makes uh, verse 37 so great is God, through John, preached the word. The people heard the word. The Holy Spirit created faith. They believed, and they followed him. That just sums up, for me, that sums up the church. We need to take a short break. Uh, We'll get your thoughts when we come back, Pastor. This is Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors, St. Andrew. Don't change that dial. We'll be right back. You are listening to KNNA LP 95.7 FM Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. Today we're looking at St. Andrew Day, uh, November 30 in the church calendar, either the last minor festival of the church year, most generally the first minor festival of the first of the church year, sometimes swallowed up by our celebration of Advent, a wonderful, wonderful day to celebrate, oftentimes with regard to St. Andrew. Um, mission festivals or evangelism kind of uh, days are there because Andrew is participating in uh, the feeding of the 5,000, the um, uh, bringing his brother Peter to see Jesus. We're going to get to that at the end of our gospel reading. And uh, we closed our first segment uh, talking about that uh, verse in uh, John chapter 1, verse 37, the two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus, a great summary of the Holy Christian Church. And Pastor, I cut you off right before because we were out of time. Um, what, was your, what was your thought, because uh, you shared it with me during break, and I know it's uh, very, very apropos for what we're talking about. Well, yeah, I think just to put it in the words that we uh, learned in confirmation class from the small catechism, when 
John the Baptist preaches the word, or later on when Saint Andrew preaches the word, uh, that Holy the Holy Spirit's working in that word to call, gather, enlighten, and sanctify the entire Christian Church on Earth, and that's what we confess in the Small Catechism. That's what we see in the Scriptures, for example, in today's Gospel lesson, and that's really then what should govern our understanding of what uh, evangelism really is. Since uh, since this is quite often uh, a uh a feast day that uh, uh, occurs during the season of Advent, and many pastors are scrambling for an Advent series to preach. Uh, there are enough minor festivals where you could do each one of these minor festivals on a Wednesday in Advent. So we'll just plant that seed for any pastors that are tuning in and listening today. Uh, we want to continue with our text. We're looking at the Gospel reading for St. Andrew, November thirty. Uh, John 1, 35-42a, um, in verse 38 now of John 1. Jesus turned and saw them following, meaning the disciples of John the Baptist, and said to them, what are you seeking? Um, so is Jesus encouraging the uh, seeker-sensitive worship service here, Pastor? Uh, what's up with this question of Jesus? Uh, I'm not really sure the definition of seeker-sensitive service here. I'll just be completely upfront and uh, forthright about that. But no, I, I don't think he's... It's a service that caters to visitors, especially visitors who are not Christian, does not talk about sin, does not talk about doctrine, doesn't talk about anything except uh, relationship talk that has no basis in Scripture. That's that's my definition of a seeker-sensitive service. I'd say no then, and I'd say <laughs> just the definition of uh, what actual worship is, worship primarily, actually, is for Christians to strengthen their faith and sustain it as they go about their day-to-day lives. And uh, if people hear that word and are converted to Christianity, praise be to God, but the whole act of evangelism is done, as is seen here in this text, by pointing people to Jesus. Come and see Christ. Come and look there. That's what's really important. That's where uh, things matter. And so um, I guess that's the answer to my question. No, Jesus is not a seeker-sensitive sort of guy here. He is uh, He's kind of saying, you know, what is it that you want? Um, and uh, who? why are you following me? And maybe is a way to say it. Um, and we're going to get a little bit more of that when we get to the end of the text. They asked him, where are you staying? That seems like an odd question. I mean, if you come face-to-face with Jesus, um, I can't imagine that the first question out of my mouth would be, uh, hey, where are, you sp- where are you staying tonight? Uh, that seems odd. What uh, What's happening here? Well, um, they've been following John, and now John's pointed them to follow him. And so in a sense, they're saying, we want to learn from you. Where are you going to abide? Where are you going to exist? Uh, that's kind of the way the word uh, is in the Greek. It's from the word meno, which means to remain or abide or exist in a particular location. And that's that's what they're asking. Where are you going to be so we can come and visit with you and talk with you and learn from you? This uh, abide with me, fast falls the eventide, the uh, image that we get from the disciples along the road to Emmaus post-resurrection, um, you know, they, they want Jesus to abide with them. They want to abide with Jesus. And I think that's going on here. This uh, Jesus response, come and you will see. 
I can't help but think about Easter. When uh, the disciples arrive at the tomb and they are told, come and see. Come and see. The, the angelic messengers, come and see. Come and see the empty tomb. And Jesus is saying, uh, you want to know what I'm doing? You want to know where I'm staying? You want to know what I'm teaching? Come and see. How is that? How is that a proper invitation even today, Pastor? Well, that's that's what we invite people to do at church is to come and to see uh, Jesus, to come and to look at Christ. That's what Saint John the Baptist did earlier in our text. Uh, that's really, like I, I've said several times, that's the foundation of what evangelism is: come and see Jesus. And uh, for Andrew here, this is going to be especially poignant because he's going to see Christ's entire ministry, and he's going to see Christ. Resu- or crucified and then resurrected and ascended into heaven, uh, and he's going to get to see the whole entire thing and then be an apostle, a person whose whole job is to keep on telling people what he saw in Jesus. Uh, many of our hearers have probably had the experience of inviting people to come to church, and most of the time we make our invitation, hey, come and hear the Word of God. Come to church with me. Come and see what's going on. Come and see what this Christianity thing is all about. Come with me to Bible study. Come with me to um, adult confirmation class. Come and see for yourself. And many times, uh, good intentions do not follow through with actual positive action. And here... We have the disciples of John the Baptist. They not only hear Jesus say, come and see, they actually follow through. They actually do it. And it says here that they stayed with him that day, for it was about the 10th hour. Abide with me. The question is not whether Jesus will abide with us. The question is, will we abide, uh, remain, uh, pitch our tent with Jesus? Now, in verse 40, one of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. This is the first time in our text when we are specifically introduced to Andrew. And as we've already talked, he's kind of an obscure uh, disciple. Peter, James, and John are really considered part of the inner circle, the inner three of the 12. They get to do a lot of things and see a lot of things that the other nine don't get a chance to see and do. What's the big deal here introducing Andrew as Simon Peter's brother? Well, um, it's setting up what's going to happen next where Andrew does what John the Baptist did and uh, begins his ministry in the sense of bringing people to Christ. And uh, it's important because um, it also shows Andrew's not really in it for himself. He doesn't... he doesn't later on come to his brother Peter and say, you know, if it weren't for me, you wouldn't have ever met Jesus. If it weren't for me, uh, you wouldn't be a Christian. And I think that's because Andrew understands that it's really not his work. Uh, Yes, he spoke the word, come and see Jesus, the Messiah, um, but the Holy Spirit is the one who brings people to faith. And I think we would do well to understand that too about our own pastors. You know, uh, our pastors might be really handsome guys and and friendly and kind, but 
they're only the instrument by which the Word of God comes to us, by which we are made Christians and saved. Um, and we have to always keep that in mind and not put our pastors up on too high of a pedestal uh, into the place where they might be in danger of overtaking God in our hearts. Uh, and Andrew is very, very good at that. He, he brings Peter to Jesus, um, but uh, he, he lets the Holy Spirit do the work. I think that's important to, uh, to note and uh it's a really, really bad idea to join a church because of a pastor. The words coming out of a pastor's mouth, the teaching that the church uh, proclaims publicly, practices in the divine service, this is why you join it. This is how you discern truth from error. And I think that's a very, very important thing to, uh, to bring out. I think also, you know, Simon Peter is famous. Andrew is not. And so John... Uh, the evangelist John, who's recording this for us, it's almost like, hey, you think Peter's such a great guy? If it wouldn't be for Andrew, Peter, Peter wouldn't be known, wouldn't be famous, that kind of a thing. Now, the last thing I want to bring out, pastors, we've got some language here that can sometimes make Lutherans squirm. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah, which means the Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Um, have you, have you found Jesus yet? Uh, think of that famous scene from Forrest Gump. Uh, I didn't know he was supposed to be looking for him. Didn't know he was lost. Didn't know he was, yeah, all that kind of stuff. You can have a lot of fun with that. Um, how should we hear properly this finding language in Holy Scripture? Yeah, it's not that uh, Jesus is lost and needs our help to to find him. Uh, rather, um, it has more to do with the Word of God um, being preached and proclaimed to people, and, and that's really the key here. How did... Uh, how did Andrew find him? It wasn't because he was out looking for Christ or that he invited Jesus into his heart. In fact, you'll see uh, someone pointed him to Christ. Uh, that That's the key. The Word is always the thing that points us to Jesus. The Word is the thing that uh, causes us to look at Jesus. Um, and if we don't understand that, we're putting the emphasis of our saving faith upon our own selves and our act of finding rather than on Christ's act of dying on the cross. Is this the Eureka word, Pastor? It, it is, and that again is the perfect, uh, the past action with present abiding results. And so... And we, when I, you know, when you see someone panning for gold and they find gold, Eureka, gold at last. Uh, and so it's kind of built into our psyche that this is something we do. And yet this discovery that is actually happening here, this Eureka discovering, has been revealed to us, not in our action, but it has been revealed to us by God the Holy Spirit through the proclamation of the Word. Is that a, is that a fair way to summarize that, Pastor? Exactly. Okay, so we have God doing the doing, and we actually have that aha discovery moment when the Holy Spirit creates faith in our hearts when we believe that Jesus is no mere mortal, but he is the Messiah, the Son of God. 
once our faith is brought alive, then of course, yeah, we actively are believing, but it's always the Holy Spirit calling, gathering, enlightening, and making alive. Amen, amen. When we come back from our break, we're going to look at the Old Testament reading for St. Andrew Day, Ezekiel 3, 16 to 21. Don't change that dial. You are listening to KNNALP 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska. Welcome back to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minors. We're looking at St. Andrew, Apostle of our Lord. This is the day that is commemorated in the church and has been for centuries on November 30. In our first two segments, we looked at the gospel reading for St. Andrew Day, John 1, 35-42a. In this segment, we're going to take a look at the Old Testament reading appointed, Ezekiel 3, 16-21. Vicar? At the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. If I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way in order to save his life, that wicked person shall die for his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. But if you warn the wicked, and he does not turn from his wickedness or from his wicked way, he shall die for his iniquity, but you will have delivered your soul. Again, if a righteous person turns from his righteousness and commits injustice, and I lay a stumbling block before him, he shall die. Because you have not warned him, he shall die for his sin, and his righteous deeds that he has done shall not be remembered, but his blood I will require at your hand. But... If you warn the righteous person not to sin, and he does not sin, he shall surely live, because he took warning, and you will have delivered your soul. Okay. Words that we, uh, again, often hear read at an installation or ordination of a pastor. We have uh, some some very, very um, important words with regard to the importance and responsibilities of the preaching office. Now, at the end of seven days, the word of the Lord came to me, son of man. Why does God call Ezekiel the son of man? Jesus calls himself the son of man. What's going on here? Is Ezekiel some kind of uh, uh, God or Messiah or what? what's happening here, Pastor? No, uh, Ezekiel's not God, and uh, he's not a Messiah. Uh, He is teaching us uh, a lot of what to look forward to when the Messiah comes. In fact, I'd say, you know, we have the last few chapters of Ezekiel is all about the the heavenly temple, which is, in fact, Christ himself uh, and depicting him. Uh, We have other places where we see Christ as the bridegroom who rescues the bride, the church. uh, And so Ezekiel is 
teaching us about the Christ, but he is not the Christ himself. God calls him son of man, however, to begin to introduce us to that language so that we are understanding it. And even um, because that's exactly what Ezekiel is, he's a descendant of mankind or specifically of Adam. And, uh, and so in that way, he is embodying much of the entirety of humanity when God is speaking to him. I, I often think of uh, how God addresses Job. Um, you know, Job, uh, w- were you here when I dug the hole for the oceans? Uh, were you here when I put the stars in their place? Uh, and Job obviously has to say no. God is uh, telling Ezekiel, uh, don't think too highly of yourself, son of man. And when Jesus refers to himself as, as the son of man, you know, he's, he's obviously linking us back to the prophecy of Ezekiel, but he's also teaching us that he is God in the flesh. He is true God and true man all at the same time. That's not the primary teaching that's going on here in Ezekiel 3. God gives Ezekiel a message to proclaim. And in uh, verse 17, he says, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. Vicar, what kind of warning are we talking about here that God has given Ezekiel to proclaim to the people? It's a proclamation of repentance. The people of Israel have turned away from God. They have gone after foreign gods. They're doing whatever they want. And so God tells Ezekiel, you're going to tell them, if you continue in your wickedness, you shall surely die. We've got a word play going on here throughout this text, Pastor, between the word wicked and the word righteous. Wicked, righteous, wickedness, righteousness. What is this uh, what is this duality, this word play that's happening here? Well, lots of times we hear those words. We like to think about the people who do good things and the people who don't do good things, uh, but rather do bad things. And I, I think perhaps there's a little bit of that, but um, it's not the primary understanding. Uh, righteousness uh, comes out of faith. And so we see that, for example, in uh, Genesis, I think, 18, um, where Abraham believed in God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Uh, and thereby the people who do not believe in God, uh, that is counted to them as wickedness or unrighteousness. And so there's really the main distinction. Does the person believe God or do they not? Um, and that's key here in this particular text and for this particular uh, scripture uh, setting, because everything is about the word pointing people to Christ and do you hear that word or will you ignore that word? Uh, when you hear the word, the Holy Spirit calls, gathers, and enlightens you. And when you ignore that word, uh, you're not called, gathered, or enlightened into the faith, but instead left out of it. So much like wisdom and foolishness, we have this wicked and righteous wordplay kind of going on, faith and unfaith. And we want to, uh, you know, our deeds follow our faith, of course. But we want to make sure that we have this very, very clear in mind because this message of repentance is a message of being sorry for your sin and believing the good news of the forgiveness of sins. The two go hand in hand. Now, we have this twice it's repeated in our text 
with regard to the high and holy responsibility that a spokesman for God, and we'll put it in today's language, a pastor has with regard to this proclamation. Um, this God requiring the blood of, of a pastor for not being faithful. Um, man, we don't talk about that today. That is not in the uh, recruitment brochure for the seminaries. Um, there, there'd be no pastors then. There'd be no pastors. Vickers' eyes are like silver dollars here. Like, uh, <laughs> oh, man, uh, th- this is some serious stuff here. Um, this is some serious stuff here, Pastor. Uh, things that people don't often think about when they're thinking about the call that their pastor has. Uh, how would you sum up that responsibility that God has given you and all pastors that he has called to faithfully proclaim his word? Well, a pastor is called to preach God's word, not his own word, and sometimes that leads to awkward situations where you have to call sin, sin. Uh, Sometimes it leads you into doing things that you aren't completely comfortable with, like forgiving people who perhaps have hurt you badly. Um, But the pastor's job is not to speak his own word or to give you his own opinion or what he thinks, but instead completely to give you God's word. And when a pastor does that, that praise be to God, the Holy Spirit works faith and and things get accomplished. Uh, When the pastor inserts himself into there, he's really taking the place of God and of Christ uh, in in determining what's right or wrong. And remember in Genesis, that's that's what the root of sin is, right? Uh, Satan said, you will know right from wrong, which is in a way saying you can be your own God. So when a pastor inserts himself in there uh, about what he thinks right and wrong is, he's taking the place of Christ. And as a result, um, you know, there is punishment because Christ is the one who's supposed to take our punishment. If we insert ourselves in his place, um, that that punishment then comes to us instead of to Jesus where it properly belongs. I'm not sure I'm making any sense there. But, no, no uh, it's, it's well said. And, uh, you know, Luther teaches us that the meaning of the first commandment is to fear, love, and trust in God above all things. I think sometimes pastors are exposed when they have to deliver a difficult message, a message of the law, a call to repentance, in that they do not fear, love, and trust in God uh, more than they fear, love, and trust in their own reputation, their own paycheck, their own position, their own standing, those kind of things. Uh, or, you know, you've been doing this for a decade now, Pastor. Uh, is, is this a real temptation or is this kind of a made-up thing? It is. It's a real temptation because it's hard to always speak God's word into all these situations. It gets wearying, uh, exhausting, because lots of times you're in the worst possible situation given to speak a word that's not your own. And um, sometimes it's just easier to say your own thing rather than to speak the truth. I think sometimes, too, pastors over time uh, lose sight of the fact that it's not their word that they're speaking, and they they trust that they're the reason the church is growing, or they can't see the church existing without their work or without their influence. And, um, and, and that causes problems as well. And so the thing a pastor needs to remember is that, uh, at least today, um, the church has existed for— 1,950 years before they 
came into existence uh, 1,000 uh, or 2,000 years before they were actually ordained, um, and it will keep on going without them as well. God doesn't need them. Uh, God, in his mercy, calls them to be his servant, uh, and, and God can keep doing his work without them as well. Not, not that without any pastor, but without the individual pastor. I don't know if that makes sense. Yes, it does. And uh, so the, uh, we'll do the flip side of that then. So if a pastor is faithful, does that mean he is earning his salvation? It says, um, if, you, if you do this, you will have delivered your soul, verse 19. Uh, verse 21, if you do this, you will have delivered your soul. Uh, how are, how is a faithful pastor to understand that? Um, is he earning his way to heaven because of the faithful words that he preaches? Um, he's not earning his way into heaven because he is preaching. Um, but if he's listening to the word that he's preaching, the Holy Spirit is calling, gathering, and enlightening him uh, into the church as well. And if he studies the word of God, the Holy Spirit can work in that as well. And, and I think it would be remiss to not point out the idea of a stumbling block here as well, where oftentimes in Scripture, Christ is referred to as the stumbling block, the thing that we kind of uh, forget about and run into in the dark with our toes and like, what are you doing here? Jesus. Um, that That's the same thing that a pastor always needs to do is to keep their eyes on Jesus, to pay attention to the stumbling block uh, so that he's not just a um, the the stumbling block, but instead he's the capstone, the cornerstone, the foundation of everything that we do in our ministry. And so Christ is the reason that a pastor goes to heaven just as much as Christ is the reason that a parishioner goes to heaven. It is a tremendous responsibility that God lays on the shoulders of a pastor, hence the stole, the yoke that uh, the pastor wears, uh, does not put him in any special class or he's not uh, given a uh, uh, express ticket to heaven or anything like that. This responsibility brings great joy and at times it is a uh, tremendous burden that the pastor has. But this burden has been already carried by our Lord and Savior Jesus, the true Son of Man, the stumbling block who has bled and died for the sin of the world. God graciously calls people to proclaim this word. That's what we're going to look at when we come back from our next break. Romans 10, 8 to 18. Don't change that dial. St. Andrew Day. We'll be right back. to K-N-N-A-L-P, 95.7 FM, Lincoln, Nebraska.
Welcome back to Proclaiming the One. Pastor Poppy, Pastor Moline, Vicar Steele. We serve the saints at Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Lincoln, Nebraska. You hear that hymn quite often. You get an opportunity to sing it at Good Shepherd as we observe the festivals and saint days in the church by all your saints in warfare. Coming back from break, we heard uh, verse 3 of that uh, majestic hymn, a Trinitarian verse. It's always, always, always about the one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and especially about the forgiveness, life, and salvation that God has provided for us through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. We're looking at the readings for St. Andrew Day, observed on November 20, or November 30, excuse me. The epistle reading for St. Andrew's Day, Romans 10, 8b to 18. Vicar? The word is near you. In your mouth and in your heart, that is, the word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. The same Lord is Lord of all bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how are they to call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, Who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Okay, there we have the epistle reading for St. Andrew Day, Romans 8, 8b to 18. Words that we hear at mission festivals in the church, at ordinations and installations of pastors. We have, uh, we have a lot of things here that we can talk about in this section from Romans chapter 10. Pastor, the first thing that I want to I get straight, uh, some people look at Romans 10 and they look at and they, they come up with a two-part salvation or a two-part faith that you can believe in your heart and that's like part one of faith or faith 101. And then when you confess your faith publicly, that's like uh, you've graduated or matured in the faith. And that's like faith 102. How is that a dangerous way to look at Romans 10? And what is God actually teaching us through these words, a proper way to understand this heart and mouth, believe and confess talk. Yeah, well, um, that's nonsense, of course. Um, and in fact, I think that's exactly why Paul the, writes the two these parts, words. The two-part yep. faith thing, of course uh, it is. That's why Paul writes this. He's teaching us otherwise. It's dangerous because it's putting the onus again upon yourself. 
Um, you know, if you believe in your heart and then you confess, then you're going to be saved and you have to check both those boxes off. That's up to you. Do it. When actually, I think, you know, maybe a way for us to think about it is Paul's describing it more like a train, you know, and you have all the cars connected together and that's the train and the train is faith. And, uh, well, you have, you call on Jesus because you have faith. You have faith because you've heard. You've heard because someone's spoken. Someone's spoken because God sent them to speak to you. Uh, And therefore, how beautiful are the feet, the ones that God sends to speak the word, the gospel, the message about Christ to you. Because the reason you're saved is because they spoke, you heard, you believed, and now you confess. And all that goes together, one unit. That's the unit that faith is. The confession is a natural fruit of faith, is it not? It is. Uh, in fact, that's the word confession means to say the same thing. And so the only way you can say the same thing as what God says is if you've heard what God has said, because that's what teaches you what God said, and that's how I'm able to say it. And so, you know, uh, if I just said to you right now, Pastor Poppy, I want you to confess what I'm thinking right now, you have no idea what it is. But if I tell you, you know, I'm really hungry for some uh, sardines, then you can confess that and say, Pastor Moline is really hungry for some sardines because I've said it to you. Now you can say it and we'll say the same thing. Uh, If I keep it in my mind and I don't ever tell you, you're unable to confess. Psalm 119.46 says, I believed, therefore I have spoken. And I think it is just that simple. Pastor, we have this um, progression that continues uh, following the question, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And now we have these rhetorical questions that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul has given us here in Romans 10. How can they call on him in whom they have not believed? How are they to believe in him of whom they have never heard? How are they to hear without someone preaching? How are they to preach unless they are sent? Four rhetorical questions that are building up to a climax. How are we to hear, read, understand, and then confess these uh, rhetorical questions that come in rapid fire? Well, I mean, the answer to all the questions is, of course, no, right? Uh, You can't call on him if you don't believe in him. No, Uh, you can't. Uh, believe in him if you've never heard about him. No, you can't do that. Uh, if you, How can you hear it if someone hasn't spoken it? That doesn't work that way. Uh, how can someone speak it unless they've been sent to speak? And that, that's ordination right there, right? Uh, uh, that's an answer, no, again. And so there's no's to all these questions. They all have to work. Uh, and they do because God's the one that's at work in them. And so God sends people to speak so that your ears can hear, so that your heart will believe, so that you will speak then also to God. Uh, and that's the way that the church has always worked, and that's the way the church always will work. Um, and, you know, we, we did Acts Bible study here not long ago. That's what happens in the book of Acts. Sermons are preached, and sermons bring people to faith. Um, that's key. And that's how Paul's going to summarize it all here, right? Faith comes by hearing the word of God. 
that's how you become a Christian. And so don't think you can be a Christian by yourself in your home. Uh, don't think you can be a Christian out uh, in the duck blind. Don't think you can be a Christian at the, uh, the movie theater or laying in bed on Sunday mornings. You need to be where you can hear the word. Uh, and that word is the thing the Holy Spirit will use to call, gather, and enlighten you and bring you into the Christian church. So hearing the word not only creates faith, Hearing the word, and by extension, the word connected to water, bread, and wine, and the words of your pastor, keeps you in the one true faith, as we confess in the uh, Apostles' Creed. Ezekiel 3 warned us that uh, the righteous can fall away and become wicked. And so we need this continual hearing of the word. So, so uh, this last week we had Thanksgiving, right? Uh is do you think that just because you had a big feast on Thanksgiving that that will sustain you throughout the rest of the year until it, the next Thanksgiving? It seems like it on the day. It does. It seems like you are so full you're never, ever going to eat again. But try it. <laughs> you'll get to mid-December and you'll be starving, right? You'll be skin and bones, nothing left. The same thing is true for your faith. Just going on Christmas and Easter, uh, you might think that that's going to sustain your faith, but it will not. You need to hear the word regularly and participate in the word regularly and receive God's gifts regularly. Yeah, I only get about halfway through the uh, Black Friday early football game before the hunger paying start to hit me. Um, this quote, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, is from Isaiah 52, and it is beautifully coupled with selected verses from Romans 10 in the gradual appointed for the day. Vicar, do you want to read that gradual? How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news, who publish peace and bring good news of salvation. Their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. Now, Pastor, we've talked about how these words talk about ordination and the beautiful feet of the pastor who brings the good news because he proclaims the beautiful feet of Jesus that were nailed to the cross um, by extension. How are the people in the pew to hear and understand this? Is proclaiming this good news of salvation, the forgiveness of sins, is this only for pastors? Is there a role for those who are in the priesthood of all believers? How does that work? Well, um, ev definitely everybody uh, can in a sense, do evangelism in the very same way that St. Andrew did, come to church and see. Um, and so, in fact, I would say probably the average parishioner can do a better job at that than the pastor because uh, they run into people in all their different lives and have connections with people they can invite to Christ uh, or, or to church more so than the pastor does, right? Even you go to the barber to get a haircut, uh, and, and the first thing they say is, so what do you do for a living? And you say, oh, I'm a pastor. That's the last words they're going to hear from them, the entire haircut, and you just hope your hair looks okay. How about right? them huskers? <laughs> <laughs> right. Um, so everybody can do this. Now, of course, uh, to do it publicly, God has instituted, so that we may obtain the faith, the office of the holy ministry. Uh, and so uh, we see that Christ washes the feet of the disciples before he sends them out. Um, uh, you know, this happens at Monday, Thursday. That's the whole idea of Monday, Thursday. The disciples' feet are washed. And then after the resurrection, they go forth and they preach. Uh, but they're servants, just as Christ was a servant to them. And now you as a Christian also are free to be 
a servant for the people around you. And the biggest way you can serve them is not by, you know, mowing their yard or, or caring for them uh, by giving them food. Those are great things. The best way you can serve them is to say, look at Jesus, look at Jesus. And that's the thing that will serve them not just for a few days or a few years, but will serve them for all eternity. Come and see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Thanks be to God. Vicar, you want to bring things to a close by praying the collect for St. Andrew Day. Let us pray. Almighty God, by your grace, the Apostle Andrew obeyed the call of your son to be a disciple. Grant us also to follow the same Lord Jesus Christ in heart and life, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God now and forever. Amen. 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 For Vicar Steele and Pastor Moline, I am Pastor Clint Poppy. Thank you for tuning in today to Proclaiming the One, Majoring in the Minor, St. Andrew Day. Remember, whether it's on Wednesday or on Sunday morning, uh, we have many, many opportunities to live our lives and carry out our vocations primarily as a Christian. Come and hear the word of God that is proclaimed to you by pastors that God has appointed. You may not see them, but according to Christ, they have beautiful feet. Thanks be to God. We'll see you again next time. God's richest blessings in Christ.